Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Our reading this morning is from Numbers chapter 12. And it's headed, Miriam and Aaron oppose Moses. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Come out to the tent of of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous, like snow. Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, O God, please heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spat in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. After that, the people left Hazroth, and encamped in the desert of Paran. Right. I think that passage is a bit of a shocker. When I first decided to talk about Miriam, this passage wasn't the bit that I had in mind, I have to admit. (laughs) I'd thought about all the nice bits about how she supported Moses, but somehow I've ended up with this. So bear with me and buckle your seatbelts. It's a very shocking uh, chapter, I think. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I read it the first time, I just couldn't quite get my head around it. The punishment, the spitting in faces. Where is the God I know in all of that, the God of love? Um, it just didn't It just didn't sit right with me. What I want to talk about today is Miriam. And her life is so much more than just that passage, as I hope you'll be able to see. Um, but first, because it is so shocking, I wanted to try and put it in context a bit. Because I couldn't focus on the rest of the story until I'd understood this passage a little bit more. 
It really is a unique situation. It's the forming of the Israelite nation, the people of God. And this is speaking into a cultural context so different from our own. This, this was considered fitting back then. The thing is, the Old Testament is only the start of the story. The New Testament is where we get a better perspective, a fuller picture of who God is, and we can understand much better his love for us. However, this passage does show the seriousness of Miriam's mistake and the consequences. So what we'll do is we'll go back to the beginning a little bit and see how Miriam got herself in quite such a pickle in the first place. The first we see of Miriam is her role as a protective older sister. It's at this point the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, has ordered that all boy babies under the age of two be drowned in the Nile. And Miriam's mother was pregnant. So the, and the baby was due any time. At this point, Miriam's about 10 or 12, and she has a younger brother, Aaron, and obviously Moses is on the way. When Moses is born, his mother does his best to hide him for as long as she possibly can. And when she can't hide him any longer, she takes him down uh, to the Nile and she puts him in a papyrus basket coated in tar. I think we all know this part of the story. And she hides him in the reeds. It's all pretty heartbreaking, I have to say. Miriam is smart and she hides to see what will happen. Pharaoh's daughter goes down to the Nile to bathe. And I've seen the Nile, and personally, I wouldn't be bathing in it, but each to their own. She sees the basket amongst the reeds, and she sends her slave girl down to get it. She opens it up, and she sees this baby. And this baby is crying, and who can resist a crying baby? Even though she knows it's a Hebrew baby, she feels sorry for him, and she wants to take care of him. Then, out of the reeds appears Miriam. Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? See, there was no aptamil or cow and gate formula in those days. You had to get someone to do it for you. And Miriam doesn't reveal her identity at this point, but she does have a plan. And when Pharaoh's daughter says yes, she goes to fetch her mother. So Moses' mother takes the baby and nurses him, allowing them to stay close. Now, this is about Moses, but we're concentrating on Miriam. What do we deduce about her characteristics just from this little incident? What do we see about her? She's protective. She's capable, brave. It would take a lot of courage, I think, to do something like that. She's enterprising and obviously quite quick-witted and clever. What else? She's obedient and sensitive. And I think she obviously must have been quite mature for her age to be able to think of this. I think she was unselfish. And I think these are all wonderful qualities, and she displays them at such an early age. It must have been wonderful for Miriam to know that she was involved in saving her baby brother's life. You see, this family had high hopes for this baby. God saved him in a miraculous way. You see, maybe, just maybe, he would be the one to deliver Israel from Egypt. I think the belief of Moses' family was, well, this is such a special child, He's going to have all this special training and contact in the palace. Maybe God is going to use him. So when Moses is old enough, he's taken from his wet nurse, his biological mother, and he goes to live in the palace where he grows up with all the benefits of being in contact with royalty and all the training. And he becomes a powerful man, a military leader. But it wasn't to last. Moses attempts to rescue an Israelite from harsh treatment by an Egyptian, and in the course of this, he kills the Egyptian. Consequently, he has to flee for his life. And he's away for 40 years. And after 40 years, now comes God's time to deliver the Israelites from their slavery. Their cries of help have been heard, and God has just the man for the job. Moses, 
the fugitive. He's made a whole new life for himself in the land of Midian. He'd married a Midianite. He has two sons, and he spent his days taking care of sheep. Sounds okay. But this is where Moses was taken, or was, when God called to him from the burning bush. And after this encounter, Moses obeys God. He goes back to Egypt, and he tells people that God has sent him to deliver them from Egypt. Now, back to Miriam again. Try and put yourself in her place. She sees the fearlessness of her brothers, Moses and Aaron, who who God advises Moses to use as his spokesman, because Moses knows that that isn't his strong point. They are thundering God's commands to Pharaoh. Miriam sees God confirm their message by the great miracles she did. He sees one plague after another devastate and humiliate the Egyptians. These were her brothers, and God was using them to totally defeat Pharaoh. I think women, uh, uh, Miriam rallied the women, encouraged them. She did what for the women what Moses and Aaron had to be constantly doing for the men, which was to remind them of God's promise and to prepare them for departure. Miriam was thrust into a place of prominence because her brothers were who they were, but also because God had given her the abilities that enabled and equipped her to be a leader of women. Finally, the unforgettable night came where Israel left Egypt with the mourning cries of the Egyptians echoing their ears. After the final plague, every home was mourning with the death of a firstborn, and that's the time we know as Passover. And Israel has left. It's been impossible But there they were, going out of Egypt on the way to their own land. It's what they've dreamed of. Three million people strong. God had kept all his promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and now to them. He delivered them from Egypt. Just imagine how that felt. I can't begin to imagine that kind of freedom. Miriam was there with this vast number of people. They came to the impassable barrier of the Red Sea. Miriam was there. She was there when they looked behind them and they saw the chariots of Pharaoh bearing down on them, either to take them back to Egypt or simply to kill them. She was there when God opened the path in that sea and the whole army of people stepped into that path. She was also there when Pharaoh's chariots and horses stepped into that same path and the walls of water that had stood so firm for the Israelites crumbled and fell and filled in that whole dry bed and drowned the mightiest army of that civilization. She'd seen some things. The Israelites were free. It was a time for joy and a time for singing, and that's exactly what they did. In Exodus 15, Moses teaches them this song. I'm not going to sing it because it will ruin it, Um, but it goes like this. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Now, I won't read it all because it will take quite a long time, but I recommend you do. To see their way, their praise totally magnifies the Lord. But in that day, what they would do is they would sing in praise on one side, and then the other side would sing as an answer in response. And it goes on to say, Then Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took her tambourine in her hand, just like Pam did this morning, um, and all the women followed her. With tambourines and dancing, Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. We can only imagine what that must have felt like. But we can see here that she's the leader of the women. They followed her. She has musical ability, and she takes her place of leadership. 
but her leadership directs them to the Lord, in praise to the Lord. She has a godly influence, and that's the focus. She's described in this section as a prophetess, a female prophet, and a prophet is one to whom and through whom God speaks, revealing himself and his will. Miriam was God's gift to the people of Israel. In fact, God says that in Micah 6, verse 4, he says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to, be, I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. She was God's gift too. We can see how, this, how privileged she was and how influential she was. Try to imagine what it, for yourself what it was like as Israel began the journey to the promised land. Miriam was involved in everything. Everything that happened, she heard the complaining when the water ran out, and she saw God's provision. She heard the complaining when the food ran out, and she saw God send manna every single day for 40 years, except Saturdays. (laughs) Then came the exciting days, when the tabernacle was being built, God's dwelling place in the camp. The women were really important in the finishing of the project. Women bought their gold and their silver jewellery, their earrings and nose rings and bracelets and rings and all the fabric, expensive fabrics and fine yarns to offer them before the Lord. Willing women skilled in weaving and sewing and embroidery worked on the coverings and the curtains. And it tells us all this in Exodus 35. Miriam had to be at the head of the line. Now, I have plenty of jewellery to offer. But if my embroidery skills are anything like my knitting skills, as the ladies of Wings will attest to, I definitely have been at the back of the line. Anyway, she was the leader of the women. She was a pace setter and she encouraged them. Something happened to change Miriam. What happened in those two years that it took them to travel from Egypt to the border of the Promised Land? Did her position go to her head? Did the fact that women looked up to her fill her with pride? I wonder if she resented the way Moses handled some things. Moses was a humble man. He waited for God's guidance. Maybe she was impatient. In any case, something began to erode her wholehearted support for Moses. I think it was possibly that ambition began to burn within her. Why should Moses have the final word? Aaron was the high priest. She was a prophetess. Why shouldn't Israel be run by a committee of three instead of letting Moses have the final say? They ought to be equal, right? You see, instead of being thankful for the influence that God had given her, she wanted more power, more authority. And sometimes when that happens, we lose our influence. These guys were a leadership team that God had put in place. They each had different skills, and they worked well together. Just like in our church, we do. I mean, there's no way they'd put me in charge of finances, just like Mary and Lawrence. Something occurred to them to give the opportunity to cover up their real motives. As we heard in our reading in Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Moses' new wife is a Cushite. At the very least, this verse indicates their contempt for Moses' choice of wife, but there's nothing in the law to forbid him marrying a Cushite. It's strictly a personal thing for Miriam. Maybe Miriam didn't like another woman having influence in Moses' life. That might have been it. Miriam had been important all these years. In any case, this became a platform that Miriam and Aaron could use to advance their own authority and equality with Moses. You see, this started as they talked to each other about what they didn't like about their secondary position in leadership. And then it spread subtly. It spread among the women as they picked the manor and as they worked together and ground it. And as they cooked it as well. And don't forget that Aaron did his share. 
you know, how it's done, there's hints of dissatisfaction, questioning judgment, disappointment in Moses, promoting themselves. Look what they say. Now, this is, this is where their real motive comes out. The smokescreen is talking about this woman from another race that he'd married, but this, this, this is where it really comes out. In verse 2, has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? Their pitch is for equality. Motivated by pride and jealousy and envy, we tear down other people and we rebel against the leadership that God has placed over us. This can happen in home or in the church or at work, and it really is a very destructive thing that we can do. We see it in government, in our workplaces, in schools, leaders taking advantage of their power, and it's, it's really dangerous. The problem is that Moses' credibility as a leader was at stake if this rebellion spread further. And Moses wasn't going to do anything about it. It says in verse, in verse 3, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. He wasn't going to defend himself, but there was someone who would defend him. Look at the phrase at the end of verse 2. And the Lord heard this. And then in verse 4, And once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So all three of them came out. You've got to see the picture here. All three of them were in the tent and God has summoned them and God's presence was there in a cloud that was a fire at night and a cloud by day. And then the cloud comes down in verses 5 to 8. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face. Now, Moses never saw God's face. This is what we call an anthropomorphism. It's a way of talking about God as if he were a man. God says, I speak to Moses with nothing between. There's no mediator. There's no vision or riddle or anything to confuse it. I speak to Moses as clearly as possible because Moses is my servant, my faithful servant. So with him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees this from the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? In Romans 13, taking it to the New Testament, it says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. And I think this is a bit we need to to hear to be able to fit it all together. For there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. You see, everyone lives under some kind of authority. In the church, we have leaders, our pastor, our deacons, they're our church leaders. And providing that they're consistent in following the word of God, we're to support them and follow in their leading. As you know, I've just become a deacon, so this is of particular interest to me, but I hope you can see that it does apply to all of us. Because in our church, Mike is our pastor, and then we have the deacons. But as a leadership team, we're accountable to the church, which is all of us. Every authority is established by God. Therefore, rebellion is against God, and this brings judgment. It certainly brought judgment to Miriam. So this is where God's swift and terrible discipline falls and boy I think it's pretty scary look at verses 9 and 10 
The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. She has leprosy? Why only Miriam? Is she the instigator? Now, I always take the woman's side. I think if there's any question, I pretty much always lean that way. But in this case, we have to face reality. Miriam was the instigator. She's the one who started this. And I think the leprosy on Miriam is God's confirmation of this. Now, back in those days, anyone with leprosy had to go outside the camp and stay there until leprosy left them, which I think is fair. <laughs> was it, what was it that Miriam had wanted initially? She wanted more power, more influence, and more prominence. But what's actually happened, she'll not even have any contact with other human beings no association, no influence. That's a pretty unbelievable judgment. But you see, there are consequences. In verses 10 and 12, it says, Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Aaron is shocked at his sister's condition. And Aaron's the high priest, and he's the one to intercede with God. But what does he do here? He appeals to Moses to intercede with God. He calls Moses my Lord, and he's acknowledging Moses' leadership finally and confesses his own complicity in the sin. He pleads in really touching words for Miriam, and Moses' response is moving also. Notice what he says in verse 13. So Moses cries out to the Lord, Oh God, please heal her. I think the emotion underlying this passage lets us see how much these two brothers really loved their sister and respected her. In verses 14 and 15, this is where God makes a bid to explain his judgment. This is an interesting bit. If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. The Lord says, listen, even an earthly father, if he had, because of rebellion or very great disobedience, spit in the face of his child, she would be disgraced and humiliated publicly. I have rebuked and punished her. Even though I will heal her, there needs to be some public humiliation, he says. Put her outside the camp, and in seven days bring her back in. Wow, was that necessary? I think maybe it was. I think the more prominence we have, the more responsibility we have. Because of our sin, we can take so many more people with us. Taking advantage of our position of responsibility affects more people and requires a harsher judgment. God has to let there be public humiliation as a deterrent for anyone else to do this. In this case, a deterrent to anyone else to challenge Moses' leadership in the future. Now, As we discussed in the beginning, this punishment is so hard to swallow for us in this society. For us, it's unthinkable. I'm not condoning spitting in our children's faces. (laughs) But I think we do need to remember the context. Things were just different. I was discussing this with Mike the other day, and, and I think if there was only an Old Testament, and there wasn't a New Testament to show me the loving side of God, I probably simply wouldn't be a Christian, if I'm honest. However, I can see that there are some serious lessons being taught here, and they're relevant. Miriam's actions to try and gain influence had been totally unproductive. 
Miriam had 38 more years to live under Moses' leadership, and she never challenged it again. In fact, we never hear her mentioned again until chapter 20, verse 1, when she's about 130 years old, and they're at the border of the promised land for the second time. It's the first month of the 40th year, and she dies. She's still a woman of influence because they record her death. But I'm sure that there was a definite diminishing of the influence she had. There is hope, though, and this is the bit we always like to hear, isn't it? (laughs) There is hope. We may mess up and we may go wrong, but there is always hope. And if we look back at that verse in Micah that I mentioned earlier, uh, chapter 6, verse 4, we see that God said, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. Now, this is written much later, um, and it shows that she's still seen as a leader and a gift from God. Miriam was a unique woman. She was very influential, and and she was held accountable by God for that influence. She lost influence by making a play for power. We're unique. We are responsible to God. We have an influence. We have it already. Are you satisfied with what God has given you to be and to do? Are you serving him wholeheartedly just where you are, whatever you're calling, or are you envious and looking at someone else and wishing that you could do that or that or that? I think, in honesty, we could probably say we've all been there. I believe if we are determined that we are primarily responsible to God, to love him and to serve him and to obey him, if we have that kind of commitment then the joy and the significance that he can bring to our lives is unfathomable. God's people are a unique creation, responsible to God, to love him, to serve him, to obey him, and to be influential in our communities. Those are the three words that we need to focus on, unique, responsible, and influential. Miriam was a woman of influence, and she lost that because she was not satisfied with the limitations placed on her, and she had made that play for power. Miriam's got some pretty serious lessons to teach us. Miriam knew what it was to experience hope and despair, terror and deliverance, slavery and freedom, unimportance and prominence. She was a good example and she was a bad example. In fact, she's just like we are. We are simply not perfect every hour of every day of every year. But God is gracious and patient with us and forgiving However, there are times when the loving Heavenly Father needs to step in with discipline before the course that we've chosen destroys us and those that look to us for leadership and guidance. We'll just pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us all together here this morning. We rejoice in your greatness and power, your gentleness and love, your mercy and your justice. Enable us by your Spirit to honour you in our thoughts and words and actions and to serve you in the coming week in every aspect of our lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.